condemns us. If you've got the NIV, it says, whenever our hearts condemn us. And the New American Standard says, in whatever our heart condemns us. Now, if those translations are correct, then that tells me that to have your heart condemn you is not that unusual. It's something that you should expect. You see, no matter how firmly you are grounded as a Christian, there will be times when your heart will need some reassurance. So we can anticipate that there will be times when our hearts will condemn us. The question is, what do we do when that happens? How do we silence a condemning heart? How do we get assurance in those times of doubt? Well, John tells us there is one standard remedy. Verse 19 says, we shall know by this. By what? Well, what's he been talking about? He's been talking about love. He's been talking about the kind of love that lays down your life in verse 16. The kind of love in verse 18 that is in deed. The kind of love in verse 18 that is in truth. So he says, when you've got the kind of love that is sacrificial and active and genuine, it assures your condemning heart. Now let me try to illustrate that. Because I narrowed it down to three possible conditions that would cause your heart to condemn you. It's either something you've done, something you're doing, or something you should be doing. Now, I've ruled out the general area of sin because John already dealt with that back in chapter 1 and verse 9. He says if we confess our sins, he's faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us. So he's really talking here not in the context of sin. He's talking here in the context of the social test. And so he's talking about relationships. He's talking about the social area. He's talking about interacting with others. And he says in that context, when your heart condemns you, love will bring you that assurance. Now, the first way would be something you've done. Let's assume that I offend someone. And I confess that to the Lord. First John tells me, chapter 1 tells me I'm forgiven. But let's say I go to that person and I ask for forgiveness and they say to me, I'll never forgive you. Now what's going to happen? Every time I see that person, an alarm is going to go off. Now, I've been forgiven by the Lord, but when I see that person, what's my heart going to say? You're guilty. You did something wrong. You offended that person. Now, the question is, what do I do? I can't make that person forgive me, but I can love that person with a sacrificial love. And I can lay down my life for that person, and I can respond to their condemning looks with visible acts of love. And John says, by this we shall assure our hearts before him. You see, loving your brother 
brings assurance to your heart. A second way that can happen is something you're doing. Let's say that I sit down with you and in all honesty I tell you some of the things I'm struggling with in my life. And I get real honest with you. And then you take that information and you use it against me as either gossip or slander. Now how am I going to feel about that? Well, I'm going to feel crushed, betrayed, shocked, hurt. And what do I want to do? Well, I probably want to slander you back. I probably want to say caustic, nasty things in return. I might want to do more than that. But you know, even if I refrain from doing those things, even if I smile at you and say, have a great day, my heart will still be condemning me. Because even though I haven't done anything wrong, I have a bad attitude. So what do I need to do? Well, I need to go to you in love and confront you about what you've done. And then I need to forgive you whether you ask for forgiveness or not. And then I need to forget that incident that took place. You see, that's what it means to lay down my life for my brother. And John says, by this, our hearts will be assured before him. John promises that there will be a sense of peace and a sense of assurance that comes to us. Remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount? He said, if you only love those that love you, what does that prove? Even the publicans do that. If you only greet your brother, what does that prove? Even Gentiles do that. But if you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, then you'll show yourselves to be sons of your father because that's what he does. You see, that's God's love. And when I show forth God's love, it assures my heart. And then I think there's a third way that this happens, and that is something you should be doing. And maybe this is the one that gets us most often. What happens when I see all around me things I could be doing or should be doing, and I'm not? Or what happens when you come up to me and ask me to do something, and I have to say, no, I can't do that. Well, I don't know about you, but oftentimes my heart starts condemning me for those things. My heart says, if you're really a Christian, you'd be out doing that. Now, let me qualify this before I go on, because sometimes we get confused in this area because we don't really understand what love is. You see... Verse 18 says we're to love in truth. And you can't separate truth from love. And sometimes we get away from that and our heart starts condemning us because we're not really understanding what love is. Let me, let me illustrate that. If somebody comes up to you and says, loan me $300 because verse 17 says you should and if you don't, you don't love me. Now, if I know that that person who's asking me for $300 is lazy and unwilling to work, 
then the most loving thing for me to do is turn to Proverbs 6.6 and say, go to the ant, you sluggard, and consider his ways and be wise. You see, I have to say to that person, I want to love you in truth. So I'm not going to give you the $300 because that would just make you more lazy. I'm going to lovingly say no because that's going to give you some additional responsibility and make you do the right thing. See, we have to understand what love is. We love in truth. And oftentimes people tie love in with guilt and manipulation and situation ethics. That's why young ladies, when a guy says, if you love me, you would, you should say, well, if you really love me, you wouldn't ask. Because we love in truth. And what people often call love is actually just lust. But you know, sometimes when we have to say no to somebody, our heart condemns us. For instance, if somebody comes up and asks you to do something to help out here at church, and it may be a great Project, and you may be able to be just the person to do that, but you have to say no to that person because you haven't had an evening with your family all week. So you have to say, no, I can't do that. Now, what often happens? Your heart begins to condemn you. Now, the question is, what do you do when that happens? Can you say, cool it, heart? I was baptized back in 1992. Cool it, heart. I went to church last Sunday. Cool it, heart. I'm a tither. No. But John says, if you can look back at your life and say, I see tangible evidence of God's love being manifest in my life. I see tangible evidence of that unnatural love of God being manifested in my life. And so even though I have to say no this time, My heart is reassured because I see the love of God being manifest in me. And then I want you to notice that verse 19 says this assurance is before him. See, this is the kind of assurance you're not going to get necessarily before people. And that's good. It comes before God. And that's because verse 20 reminds us he is greater than our heart and he knows all things. Aren't you glad your heart doesn't have the final say? God has the final say. And John says he knows all things and he's greater than our hearts. Remember when Peter made the statement to Jesus, even if everybody else forsakes you, I never will. Now, there was a guy with some assurance, but it was self-assurance. Even if everybody else leaves you, I'll never leave you. That very night, he denied the Lord three times. And the Bible says he went out and he wept bitterly. In fact, he felt so bad, he gave up and he went back to fishing. And in John chapter 21, Jesus came to where he was fishing And Jesus asked him a question. He said, Peter, do you love me? Now, 
That's one passage where it really helps to know the Greek words. Because when you bring them over into English, Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, I like you. Now what's going on with Peter? Well, Peter's heart is condemning him. And so Peter's saying, how could I say I love you when I just blew it? So Jesus says a second time, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, I told you I like you. And then the third time, Jesus says, Peter, do you like me? Now what's going on there? Well, that's the grace of God. You see, when we don't have the strength to come up to where he is, what does he do? He comes down to where we are. Peter couldn't say, I love you, so Jesus said, all right, let's start where you're at. Do you like me? And I love Peter's response. You know what he said? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Well, that's the same thing John is telling us here. He knows all things. He knows that we're in the truth. He knows the reality of our love. And in verse 19, that word assure is a word that means to pacify, to put at ease, to set at rest. Thayer, one of the great Greek scholars, translates it tranquilize. We're in a society that's fixated on finding a tranquilizer for their troubled hearts. And we see people trying everything from crack cocaine to Jack Daniels to Valium. Do you need a tranquilizer for your heart this morning? Well, John says it's one of the blessings of loving. When you love your brother, your heart is tranquilized in the presence of God. And then there's a second blessing, and that's answered prayer in verses 21 and 22. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do the things that are pleasing in His sight. Now I want you to notice some things about prayer in these two verses. First of all, how do I come to God in prayer? Well, verse 21 says, with confidence, with boldness. You see, I don't have to approach God cowering because He's my Father. I have confidence, I have freedom, I have assurance in His presence. Now, that's not because I deserve to be there, because I don't. That's because of Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19 says, We have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. And so when we come to God in prayer, we come in humility, but we come in confidence. And then what's the purpose of prayer? Well, look at verse 22 where it says, We receive from Him. The purpose of prayer is that we receive from Him. Now, I think we forget that much of the time. 
or we balk at that. Our God is a giving God, and He is our loving Father, and He wants to give to you and me. James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights. Prayer is designed for you as God's child to receive from Him. And then the third question this answers is, what do we receive from Him? Well, look at verse 22. Whatever we ask, Did you know that God is willing and ready to give you whatever you ask? And he doesn't just specialize in religious things. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things. In Matthew chapter 7, in the context of prayer, Jesus says, which one of you, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Which one of you, when your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who, to those who, who ask Him. You see, He's a God who's ready to give whatever we ask. But then John adds some conditions to that. And there are three in these two verses. The first condition is that I have to have an uncondemning heart. See verse 21? Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence in whatever we ask, we receive. Now, how do I get an uncondemning heart? Well, first of all, I can't have any unconfessed sin. Because Psalm 66, 18 says, If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Secondly, I have to have no broken relationships. Because in Matthew 5, 23, it says, When someone brings his offering to the temple and remembers that his brother has something against him, he's to leave his offering there and first be reconciled to his brother and then he can come and worship the Lord. So if I've got broken relationships, then that's a condition that keeps me from getting answered prayer. But the third condition is right in this passage and that is love because he just told us how we get an uncondemning heart. And that is by this, by love. So love is a condition for answered prayer. Answered prayer is one of the blessings of loving your brother. Then he gives us a second condition here, and that is obedience in verse 22. He says, because we keep his commandments. You see, I can't expect... God to do what I ask if I'm not doing what he asks. That's why 1 Peter chapter 3 says if a husband and wife are not doing what they're supposed to be doing in their relationship, it hinders what? It hinders their prayers. 
So obedience is a condition. And then the third condition is I have to do what pleases Him, verse 22, and do the things that are pleasing in His sight. You see, this balances out the whatever we ask. Because if my goal is to please Him, then I won't be asking Him for things that only please me. James chapter 4 and verse 3 says, You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. If we're going to have answered prayer, we have to have the attitude of Paul. He expressed it in 2 Corinthians 5, 9. We have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. So along with obedience and a life that pleases God, love is one of the conditions that brings us confidently into God's presence to ask and receive from him. Answered prayer is a blessing of loving. And then there's a third blessing. And that's abiding. Notice verse 23. And this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. All that he commanded us to do can be summed up this way. Believe in Jesus Christ and love your brother. Now, I've said it before that these are the themes that are interwoven throughout John's letter. Faith, obedience, and love. In fact, they constitute the three tests. The doctrinal test, believing in Jesus Christ. The moral test, obeying his commandments. The social test, loving one another. And here John tells us the result in verse 24. And the one who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. The one who keeps his commandments, faith, obedience, and love, abides in him and he in him. Now what does it mean to abide? Well, you know, if I take a sponge and squeeze it in my fist and stick it in a sink full of water, that sponge will be in the water but it won't be abiding in the water. And some Christians are in Christ, but they're not abiding in Christ. Now the question is, how do I peel those fingers off the sponge to get it to abide? And John says that happens by faith and obedience and love. You know, storms at sea are very destructive to ships, but they rarely bother fish. And the reason is that a storm typically only affects the top 24 feet of the ocean. And so when a storm comes, what the fish do is they go deeper. And the deeper they go, the safer they are. And in the same way, faith, obedience, and love take us deeper into the abiding presence of God. That's a great benefit. Remember in Luke chapter 24 where the two disciples are on the road to Emmaus? And Jesus comes alongside them. They don't know it's Jesus. And Jesus says to them, what's wrong? Why are you guys so sad? 
And they tell him, all our hopes are dashed. You ever feel that way? I'm never going to get a husband. I'm never going to get a promotion. I'm never going to get out of this storm. Our hopes are dashed. What did Jesus do? Beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. You see, Jesus took them to the scriptures. Jesus took them deeper. And when they got to their house, you remember what happened? The Bible says that Jesus walked on by. Now, why did he do that? Well, because he wanted to see if they wanted more. Jesus will only give more to those who want more. And so Jesus begins to walk by their house. And they said, no, stay with us. And so Jesus came in their house, and he sat down at the table, and he broke the bread. And when he broke the bread, they must have seen the nail prints in his hands. And they said, This is the Messiah. We have been discouraged for nothing. And I would suggest to you this morning that some of us need that same kind of experience because we have been discouraged for nothing. But I also want you to notice this. Jesus came into their house as a guest, but he acted as host. You read that passage. They invite Jesus in. They sit down at the table, and he acts as host. He takes the bread. He blesses it. He breaks it. He passes it out to them. And that's the way God operates. You invite him in as guest. He comes in to take over. And that's what abiding means. It means for him to be at home in you and for you to be at home in him. And John tells us love is one of the conditions for abiding. Jesus put it this way. He said, if any man loves me, he will keep my word and my father and I will come into him and make our home in him. Who does he come and make his home in? Those who love. So loving your brother is costly. It will cost you your life. But John wants you to know that there are some benefits. Assurance, answered prayer, and abiding. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word today. We thank you for this encouragement to do that fundamental of all commandments, the one that really completes the law, that we would love you with all our heart and love our brother as ourself. And Father, we thank you for the encouragement of this passage to realize that when we do that, though it's costly, there are blessings that come. There is assurance that comes to our heart. There is answered prayer and blessings that come from you. And there is that abiding presence to be deep in the presence of our God. And we thank you for that privilege this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.